When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the Travis Jewett Show on The Current, presented by Capital One, the official bank of Tulane Athletics. Coca-Cola, pick up a Coke Zero Sugar and try the real Coke taste of Coke Zero Sugar today for yourself. New Orleans Roast Coffee and Tea Company, a proud sponsor of Tulane Athletics and as flavorful as the city it calls home, and the Tulane Institute of Sports Medicine. Here we go. The pitch. That one is swung on and drilled. That's out to left field. That is back for Mosley. He looks at the wall. He will leap, and it is gone. Pratt steps up. He throws deep down the far sideline, and he got him. Touchdown, Jaquan Jackson. Five seconds left. Inbound to Clark. Top of the key. Drives in the paint. Right hand floater. Off the glass. It's good. Off the glass. It's good. That one is swung on and tagged, knocked down by Burns. He picks, he throws to first, the stretch by Avilas. Beautiful, absolutely gorgeous. McMillan steps up, he throws, middle, caught by McCluskey. Breaks out of a tackle, 10, 5, angles, far side Are you line. kidding me? Touchdown, two Are you kidding me? No way. Let's get a win. Welcome to this week's edition of the Travis Jewett Show, right here on The Current. I'm Andrew Allegretta. As always, thank you for pulling us up. Tulane baseball coming off that tremendous weekend against Wichita State, taking all three games at Turchin Stadium and vaulting Tulane into the mix for the AAC Championship throughout the course of the regular season, as well as vaulting Tulane into the top 75 of the RPI, which, and again, this is early, a long way to go to the finish line. But a couple of national publications have put Tulane in to the field of 64 for the NCAA tournaments. Long way to go, but that's a good thing. Well, coming up this weekend, a trip to Memphis. And shortly, we'll talk with head coach Travis Jewett about the Wichita State Series, as well as those games against the Memphis Tigers in Tennessee. 
Also, a conversation with Donovan Benoit will follow his story. And look, it's not tremendously unique, but it is one of those challenging stories that student athletes go through. End up at one school, there's a coaching change, and then they have to figure things out from there. Donovan Benoit starts off at Tennessee, goes to a junior college, and has hit his stride recently here at Tulane. Before we get to our conversation with Travis Stewart, a quick nod to the men's tennis team. By the time that you've listened to this, it's possible that they have played their quarterfinals match on Thursday. But best of luck at the ACC championships this weekend. And hopefully men's tennis can find itself in the championship match coming up on Saturday. All right, let's turn things over to the head coach, Travis Stewart. All right, Coach, let's start with the obvious. A fantastic weekend against Wichita State. I know you guys lost a game, didn't get to play one, but you won all three that you did play. Uh, Sitting back, reflecting, digesting the weekend, the coaches' takeaways were what? Well, you know, happy for the kids. You know, more than anything that, um, you know, coming off the good start, um, you know, last three games against Memphis, and then just kind of the rough week ahead from there or two weeks I guess you could say you know feeling good about ourselves and getting on the plane to go down to South Florida and then having that whole thing blow up in our face the return trip home that wasn't a flight anymore not a train but it was a bus and we get home late on Monday and then all week we had Noah's Ark type events and so we were kind of pinned inside and So, you know, we had weather and we had cancellation of games. And so I was worried about, you know, the rhyme and rhythm of how we'd be um, playing just because we were out of it, so to speak. But, uh, you know, I thought the coaches did a good job of kind of formulating some training plans throughout the week, even with the bad weather. Um, The kids still kind of held on to the good feelings of winning the last time they actually did play. Um, and then, you know, we knew Wichita State was going to be a very good team, and uh, they were coming in hot. I told them everybody's talking about their seven-game winning streak. Don't forget, we have our three-game winning streak of our own. So, um, you know, just proud of the way the kids um, – prepared with kind of all the adversity and the things that we've talked about we knew we would have to be good at because of what the season looks like not only COVID but obviously weather um, and for them to come out and do what they did against a very good uh, Wichita State team you know that speaks volumes of what we're capable of doing and obviously it wasn't perfect but what I think you're starting to see Andrew and you probably agree with me because you were watching is that Maybe those one and two run or close games that maybe we were leaving on the table um, were now maybe starting to spin um, into our favor. I think that's just because uh, we're swinging the bats a little bit better. We're continuing to pitch, and starting pitching has been um, very good, so that certainly helps. But we're starting to kind of swing the bats a little bit more up and down the lineup, which I think is covering maybe some of our stakes. So um, just got to keep. You know, stay humble, stay hungry, and realize that, you know, through um, three weeks of conference, you know, we've put ourselves into a position to be at the front end of it. And we all know what you have to do um, to stay there, which is win games. And so uh, excited for the opportunity going forward to Memphis this weekend. Obviously, we played them here. It'll be a different uh, ball game as we go there. Their their record at home is pretty good, and they're a dangerous type of group. So we'll have to, um, you know, be ready, keep our dukes up, and get after it. Uh, some context on those one-run victories. First off, Wichita State came into the weekend four and zero in one-run ball games and left four and two. 
Tulane did not have a one-run victory since the opening game of the season against uh, Louisiana Lafayette. So, to your point, the grinding through the close games has started to turn for Tulane. Uh, Was there a moment throughout the course of maybe Friday where you as a head coach could say, you know what, I don't think the things that I was worried about with the weather, not being able to play and practice on the field, the travel situations, maybe that's not going to be as much of a concern as I thought it might be going into the week. And was there a point in Friday where you felt like, okay, my guys are still there? Yeah, and I I think from preparation going into the game, you know, uh, I actually saw it, as I mentioned, during the week itself. You know, we we took a situation that wasn't ideal and the kids uh, understood it. And they attacked what they knew it was ahead of them. And that's just all we can do. So I, I thought they were dialed in that way. And then, um, you know, just when their preparation on Friday and you could just kind of sense that they were excited to get back out there um, doing what they love to do and who they love doing it with. That's kind of a mantra in our program. You know, how, how could that not excite you to be doing those two types of things? So, um, yeah, they were on point from the get-go. Good to see Oltoff kind of back out there on the thing and again you know i i thought he did admirably in terms of you know containing some of their opportunities and keeping them at bay and all those types of things to give us a chance to win so um excited for him going forward and then you know just the continued growth of watching jack and you know donovan was outstanding and i thought tyler hoffman in so many different ways was such a it was a huge deal because we get him the start there on on uh Saturday, I believe it was, and it lasts for, you know, 10 minutes, and then all of a sudden, we don't play again until the next day, but for him, Andrew, to take that ball again and resume that game and keep that situation that he reinserted himself into at a zero, um, so it was one nothing. And then to throw the game into the second and third inning so that we could shorten the game down and give it to Donovan, I thought that was a big deal. Uh, yeah, let's talk about that decision to play, uh, to play Tyler for the second consecutive game because I suppose conventional wisdom says, you know, oh, he starts, the game stops, he's burns. The Mets just went through that with Marcus Stroman like a week ago, and I understand it's different on the professional level, uh, but conventional wisdom says, oh, he's done for the weekend. Uh, talk me through how you guys got to the point where you felt like he could still give you X number of pitches the next day. Well, it's really just based off of him personally to start this whole you know equation that we're going to go through here. But it's like if he wasn't pretty adamant about you know how he felt, then certainly that wasn't going to happen. So you know the health and safety of our kids obviously is the most important thing. So. He didn't throw a lot of pitches. And, um, you know, he's just throwing one time a week now. And uh, he felt good. And, uh, you know, throughout the whole rain delay on Saturday, he's like, I don't care how long this thing lasts. I'm going back out there. So <laughs> um, what's the difference if he would have done it for eight hours from the start of the game on Saturday to over through a sleep on into Sunday? So he really wanted it. And, um, you know, as you're trying to, draw up the game plan so to speak you know if you thought that if he could do that and maybe get us into the third inning um you know staring down the barrel of a donovan benoit for a five or six inning tilt i thought was going to be in our favor so it it worked out and uh, just real proud of tyler i thought he had a big effect on the outcome of that game 
did he want to prove something? Because we've seen A-plus stuff from Tyler throughout the course of the season. And I suppose if we're being transparent and fair, it was probably B stuff, I suppose, from Tyler. I think he threw to five batters on Saturday. He gave up a run. He left that game with runners at the corners. Then we had to restart. Did he want to prove something to go back out there? I really think he did, Andrew. And uh, again, you know, when you're playing the pass the baton game, which I think baseball is a lot, right? One pitcher to the next, one batter to the next. And when you're seeing others have success, right? You want to keep a hold of that baton so that you can, um, you know, imitate that, so to speak. And then, like you said, he certainly was, his command wasn't sharp, you know, and it, it didn't start off sharp um, either. You know, he walked a few batters in that thing. But yeah, I think he was trying to make a statement that, you know, I can make these adjustments and I can do what the team needs for me to do. And uh, again, just real proud of his courage um that way you know we made sure it's like i get it you're a competitive kid you want to do it but your health and your safety is the most important he's like i'm fine so um you know i was just really pleased and i think the kids saw that too like you know here's a guy that's willing to do whatever it takes and wants to do it you know and i think that shows a lot of toughness and leadership and and i think the kids fed off of it well, let's go to the back end of these games because that's something that we've talked about throughout the course of the season, uh, trying to figure exactly out who's going to come into ball games at certain points in time. Uh, Zach DeVito seems to have taken the reins as the closer, but at the same time, you got three great innings against uh, with Clifton Slagle. You got three great innings with Keegan Gillis, and then Zach closes the door in the final game. Um, what did this past weekend, if anything new, teach you about how you want to use these guys and what certain situations maybe a Keegan stands out or a Zach stands out or a Clifton or somebody else stands out uh, toward the back end of ball games? What a great problem, huh? No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> so basically you just kind of rolled off three names and there might be some others capable too, sure. but just guys that could actually get the last out of a game. And, uh, you know, I think it's all just kind of predicated on when we insert them and then how are they doing while they're in there? You know, I think you have to use your own eyes and your gut a little bit about what's shaking. And, you know, obviously Keegan goes in there and, um, you know, we felt that that was the right time and, you know, to get him going uh, in there at that spot. And then once you see how he's doing, it's like, you know, yeah. don't mess with it because, you know, he's going to try to drive this thing home. Um, and again, you know, like I've told some people in the media, um, you know, it's getting kind of an elongated spin for him, so to speak. But, uh, you know, he's been training well and building up to that. And, um, you know, he was going to fight me if I tried to take him out of that game. So uh, he's a big, strong guy, and I didn't really want to have that altercation in the dugout. So I just really felt good that he was in control. He was driving the ball through the strike zone. Uh, fastball, curveball, cutter were all on point. He was competing like heck. And at that point, it's like just get out of his way and, and let him drive it. So that's a real – that's a bonus because when you're talking about these four-game weekends – then all of a sudden, now he does his thing. You don't have to use the DeVito or the Slago at that point. And sure. you're not using all three of them to get to the last out. And so they're kind of those elongated silver bullet moments where it's like, hey, man, we'll get you in there. If it's riding and rolling, and then we can just stay with it. And we actually had two of those, you know. So um, Keegan's 
three innings were huge. Slagle's three inning save was huge. And then you saw what it allowed us to do, which is have a fresh um, Zach DeVito when we're going for the sweep. So, um, so nice to have that kind of monster out there at the end of the game because as much as important as starting pitching is, the ability to get the toughest three outs of the game, it's nice to have um, those those capable guys. So, I very should, thankful. Yeah, I should probably back up because – as I was saying that Zach DeVito appears to have taken control of the closer role, I saw a bit of reaction on your face. You actually even put that label on it. DeVito's our closer, or Gillis is our closer, or whatever it is, or do you just think of it differently? Yeah, I do think of it differently. Okay. I think it's the guy with the ball that's at the game at that particular point, you know, and uh, I think you know, when those guys go in there, they're like, okay, I'm going to finish this thing. And if that's what it says and they're doing well and, and the game says to continue to do it, then, um, you know, to have more than one guy labeled that, I think that's a bonus for us. So we've talked about, we think we've got five qualified starters for a four game weekend. I also feel like we've got three or four guys out there at the end that we could, that could get to final out too. So we just kind of try to match it up and, and, um, you know, go from there and right now just playing the cards as they lay. Uh, take us inside the dugout with the conversation between you and coach Latham like you said, you have to read the situation, but do you guys have any sort of foundational principles about what we're looking for, about when to use a certain guy in certain situations? Some coaches are left, left, right, right, got to match him up all of the time. Do you have any sort of things that you work through a checklist to say that's exactly we're going to stay true to this principle when you consider changing pitchers? No. Yeah. And, and I say that, you know, respectfully, uh, it's the score has something to do with it, right? Um, the batting average is against right and left-handed. That has something to do with it. And then just, again, the situation, runners on base, that has stuff to do with it. And then just the flow of the game. And I think if the guy has proven that he can get both right and left-handed out and he's throwing strikes and getting ahead and doing the things like that, then sometimes you just don't want to mess with it. So, But we do go into each game. We sit down before, and we say, these are kind of our available guys. This could be the matchup thing that we're looking at, you know, um, if we get to this spot. But sometimes the score says you don't have to. Uh, the feelings of the guy on the mound says not quite yet, um, you know. But we just kind of have those guys down on the wings ready to go. And, and if it's there, then it's there. But if not, then we just kind of keep cruising. All right, so there's two specific moments this weekend that, w that I wanted to ask you about. Then we'll touch on Memphis before we wrap up our conversation. Uh, the first one, walk me through the scenario with Jared Hart at home. It doesn't get reviewed. I think taking a look at it, I still think he's safe. Um, what was explained to you in that situation there? Well, first off, I thought he was out. And so I think when I'm now coaching third base, um, I'm down the line. I'm, I'm pretty deep down in the thing because the ball gets smoked down into the corner, uh, one run in, two runs in, and now I'm watching the left fielder. Um, does he secure the ball cleanly? Does he exchange it cleanly? Does he come up and throw a strike um, to the front guy of the double cut? 
um, as they did all of those things, I was actually trying to squeeze Jared down. I had the stop sign up. The yeah, problem I saw that. is, was his head was down. And so now he's running through me. So we're both close to the plate. The ball beats him there. There's certainly contact between the two of them. I think I just, I had him out and I just assumed which obviously we understand assuming, but uh, that he was out. Um, so probably a little frustrated that he ran through my stop sign. Uh, the ball beat him. Uh, I had him out in my mind. Well, where it goes from there is then with some delay, um, all of a sudden through whoever, um, Jew, like I think maybe he got in there or didn't get tagged. Okay, geez, okay, I wasn't even thinking that. Um, time, time, time. Um, I'd like to review the play. Well, there's like a 10-second, you know, okay, play's over, time out. Before the next play, you've got that small window of time to review the play. So I certainly was after 10 seconds. Um, so we all came in there, as you saw us discussing. Um, they kind of told me that. I said, well, we also have a 20-second pitch clock thing that I would say is not, you know, on it at all times. I go, you guys catch my drift here. I mean, yes. come on, we're not 10 minutes. We might right. be X amount of seconds, but, like, work with me here a little bit. And they said, you know, it's just, it was too much time. And so I asked them specifically, well, how much time was it? And uh, it was kind of a laughing moment between all three of us. They said, how about 12 seconds? I go, well, that's more than 10. So carry on. So anyways, um, you know, I learned something there at that point, too. Um, you know, and I think, too, that that's a valuable base, right? It's worth a run. It's not just 90 feet. It, it's actually a run. And, um, you know, I should probably utilize that as one of our challenges. But uh, thank goodness it, it didn't affect the outcome. Yeah, I guess that was my thought as I was watching it unfold. I heard about the 10 second thing and I'm thinking, okay, there's there's so many areas within this sport that we kind of we talk about rules, but there's some gray space with it. And that certainly felt like one, especially considering what we review these days, which is just darn near everything. Um, so I was kind of perplexed a little bit watching that unfold. But what have you learned throughout the course of this season or the past couple of seasons with review about how to actually call for challenges, when to call for challenges, what you think can actually get overturned, which always seems like the biggest question mark to me. I know there's six different cameras out there. They've got some different looks, but it, it seems awfully challenging and the bar and the standard to get them to overturn something. So what have you learned throughout the past couple of years about how to attack situations like that? Well, and I think that's credit to the umpires too, right? You know, if it's hard to overturn that, you know, hopefully that sure. means they got the original call correct. It's just nice to, you know, have that kind of security blanket so that the game can be officiated, you know, correctly because there's yeah. human error in everything. Um, and really what I do, Andrew, is that, you know, it used to be you got you got two, period. Now you get the two, but if you win, then you get that one back in your pocket. So you could actually, you know, have 10, I guess, right, if you got them all right when you challenge. So. Um, I just think about 
the moment in the game, you know, the score of the game. Is this really going to affect the game? You know what I also like to do is, and we've talked to this with our kids, it's like, you know, if you were safe or if you tagged him or you didn't get tagged, you know, I need to see your emotion there a little bit like, you know, because that helps me too, because they're kind of right in the middle of it. Now we have to be smart, like not just like, Oh, I'm embarrassed and I'm out, but just like, (laughs) you know, kind of a true feeling. So we just try to sense the urgency of the play. Is it affecting this inning? Right. It's like we could really use this out because, you know, they got traffic and, you know, things are going or gosh, we just had a double play ball, but they're calling him safe on the force at second when we think we got an out, things like that. And we just try to kind of utilize them, you know, but you do have to be careful because, you know, if you're just on a whim and you're just like, Hey, I think he blew that call and I actually had him out, but you know, then you start using them frivolously. Then all of a sudden, maybe when you need him, it's kind of that cry wolf theory. It's like all of a sudden, you know, you need one and yeah. nobody's there, but the wolf is there. So just trying to be <laughs> smart, you know, about yeah. all those types of things as we make that decision. All right. Last moment that I wanted to ask you about, and I'm looking at the clock here, but um, Logan Stevens's throw from right field in the eighth inning on Sunday. Not only his throw, which was fantastic, but the decoy that Simon Bumgart did at third. I loved that moment there. That seemed like a really big play on both ends. Well, it really was because they're chasing two. And, um, you know, hit a hard ground ball into the four hole. And, um, you know, in order for this play to actually come to fruition, Logan's got to be on attack. And, um, you know, I think he sensed the the body language of the base runner that, you know, this was a possibility that he was going to try to go first to third. So he's got to come and attack this thing, which we work uh, a lot on, um, you know, and our bunters are bunting in pregame and our infielders are catching pop-ups. We've got machines going in the outfield for our guys working on just this type of play where it's going to be a big first to third or a second to home where they have to come up and field do or die type ground balls and so the attack by him um, and then the ability to just you know show off his arm strength which has improved tremendously um, you know a pitcher in high school too so he's got the velocity and to throw you know the bullet strike to a you know decoy and simon who did a really good job of just kind of acting like there was no play and then that was a big out because you again chasing two and then you're able to take that guy and not only get a guy out of scoring position but to put an out on the board and i would tell you this too the importance of that throw not only to get the guy out, but the the height of the throw through the cutoff man, not only does it allow us to get the guy out at third, it keeps the batter runner at first base and not yes. just air mail it over the everybody's head. And then, then we have what we call safe and safe would be safe at third. And then the batter runner goes to second. And now all of a sudden... Uh, your game uh, is completely different. So not only did it get the lead out, but it also kept the double play in order. Uh, And when you're in a tight game like that late, um, those are big deals. So I was really proud of Logan for that, for sure. And just, you know, I thought he had some quality at bats. He put down a heck of a bunt this weekend as well that I thought that was big. And, you know, him and Birchfield both just got got some opportunities this weekend. And and I thought the two of them, you know, when you grab an opportunity, you got to seize it and try to create yourself some more so um it was good that they would insert themselves and help the wave win all right coach i'll leave you on this two lane takes on memphis this weekend for four game sets 
Um, Tulane took three out of four the first time around. I understand what Memphis's record is. Why is all of that a misnomer? What about Memphis uh, is better than what people would just take away and shrug off on paper so far? Well, first off, you know, they've got the conference preseason player of the year in, in the middle of their batting order. So um, that in itself is, you know, yes, sir. worthy. So uh, their record is completely different at home. You know, their ballpark plays hot. There's a lot of activity there. I think they feel comfortable. Um, you know, their record in league, um, everybody, I think, assumes that we're going to go up there and take four. We're going to have to play good baseball. We're not good enough where we can just show up there and think that they're going to roll over. They've got um, courage and confidence and want to, right? We were uh, won the series here, so they'll be ready for that. They're a different team at home. Um, their last two weekends, they've played East Carolina and Cincinnati, and if you look at the games, which we've watched them all, there's some close ones for sure. So they're not far off. Um, little things here, little things there, just like everybody in the game of baseball. So um, regardless of their record, they're at home, and uh, we've got to take GFATs and pack it up and go there. And we're going to have to play good baseball uh, to win because, like I said, they're a different team at home, and we just have to respect the game, you know. And I think if we can yeah. clean up our little things here and or there, we continue to get good, solid starting pitching and then – talked already about the guys at the end um you know Batesy will be back in the equation this week uh Trent will be back in the bullpen this week so those two guys will help and then again if our offense can kind of continue to mature and grow as as we have on the mound then you know I, I like our chances coach thank you as always for the time thank you very much all right Donovan thank you for taking a couple of moments to talk um the past couple of weeks let's start there uh, you've been throwing great. Uh, what do you feel like has helped you elevate your game over the past couple of weeks? You've been fun to watch. You've come in from different roles as a starter to a relief pitcher, and you've been effective in so many different situations. Uh, what do you feel like, at least recently, uh, has you in a position to be successful? Uh, I would say just like, like not giving up. You know, it, it was it definitely was a tough first couple of weeks throughout the season. Um, you know, I went in and talked to Latham. Just kind of things weren't going the way that they had been in the fall, early spring. Uh, figured some things out watching some video and made like just applied that. And you know, the, the success has been. It's not like out of nowhere because I've had it before, but it's it's good to have back for sure. Yeah, you've been fun to watch. I can think back to this this Wichita State series uh, coming out of the bullpen. Um, I don't know. Was it three, four, five innings, something like that, in the one game that you threw? Um, and I can see the passion on your face when you get a strikeout. Uh, we talked about after the game the throw that Logan made from right field to third to Simon. Uh, the passion has been fun to watch for you guys. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's been a lot more fun especially when you start winning right <laughs> it's winning cures everything as I always say but um it's been it's been a lot of close a lot of close games a lot of heartbreak games and I think we're starting to make that turn where we're people are starting to hit their strides um and you know it's it's college baseball it's fun it's not something where it's like a job and yeah. it's like oh, I have to go do this today it's like I get to go do this today like it's it's college baseball it's so much fun all right so we'll circle back to this team in just a little bit but I want to get your story because you've been through 
Look, you've been through a difficult up and down throughout the course of your career, but at the same time, it's a story that a lot of student athletes go through. Uh, recruited out of Pensacola, go to Tennessee for a season. There's a coaching change there. You go to a junior college, and now you're here. Uh, let's start with the basics. It happens to student athletes all the time, but in your own words, how would you describe the challenges of being recruited by one staff, and then all of a sudden, you've got a different staff that is here when you show up on campus at Tennessee, which was your case. What is the challenges that a student athlete faces in those situations? Uh, it, it's tough. Um, you know, coming out of high school, obviously, like, you're the guy. Um, so wherever you're expected to go, the coaches want you there. They're expecting you to contribute right away. Um, literally like a month or two before going to summer school for Tennessee, all the coaches got fired. Every single coach, the weight guy, so it was like kind of a sudden shock, like what's what's going to happen? Do I still want to go to this school? Um, I got a call from the athletic director who was later fired or decided to part ways. Yeah, Tennessee has been through some things lately, but that's neither <laughs> sure here nor have. there for you. And so he called me one day before practice and said, hey, look, everything's going to be okay. Don't decommit, please. Like, I want you to stay. Like, we want you to come here. And I said, okay. So <sighs> waited waited probably a couple weeks for these guys to find a coach. Um, they end up picking Tony Vitello, um, talked to him two, three times before I show up to the summer. And I was like, okay, you know, see how it goes. Show up to campus, and it was still only him for the, f for the entire summer we were there. Mm. They finally pick a pitching coach and a hitting coach as soon as school starts, and then they finally pick up a strength and conditioning coach a month into the season, or a month into the fall semester so you know it was, as a freshman it was it was really tough sure. you know um these guys never seen me play uh so to me it was just like a brand new brand new kid coming on the team it's a whole new recruiting process all over again exactly yeah. so I've already proved to Tennessee two and three years that I could hit I could pitch and now I have to prove to these guys that I can hit I have to pitch in a very short amount of time mm. and it was it was even more tough because uh, he was the assistant coach at Arkansas, so he saw he played Tennessee in a weekend series, and he saw them throw SEC play that whole last year. So he already had an idea of who he liked, what he saw, and when he showed up the camp, he, he actually brought two recruits in. Right. So it was kind of like, what is he, does he not like us already? Sure. And so it was definitely a tough season. Um, it was obviously a season I'll never forget because uh, it was a lot of perseverance on my part um there was times where I hated it I, sure. I I was like the coaches were not enjoyable to be around <laughs> they didn't really help it was just like I was like man do I still want to do this but I was like you know I'm going to bet on myself I'm going to keep pushing forward uh I got to I got to pitch 21 innings and at the SEC level I pitched almost every weekend and they wanted me to come back for that next year throw 20 to 30 more innings and I was like you know do I do I go through this process again where they're just breaking me down, not helping me with much, uh, just like not enjoying college baseball? And I said, you know what? I'm going to go somewhere where I'm going to bet on myself. Um, and I want to go to a school where somebody actually wants me. And so I think looking back, I tell my parents all the time, that was the best decision I've ever made is transferring to Santa Fe. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Got to play there. And... Went to a showcase and talked to a bunch of different college coaches after that experience. So that was super cool. Um, 
ended up talking to Eddie Smith, the former coach here at Tulane. And then Travis Jewett reached out multiple times. And it was like once or twice a week they would send me texts. Hey, how's it going? They would call me. Hey, I saw you pitch. And like to me, that was awesome. Because yeah. it was like, wow, these guys actually want me to show up. And they guys want me to contribute. And they're going to invest in you once you get here. For exactly. Sure. So that was super cool. Um, and, you know, I got the opportunity. I did get drafted after my junior college season to go to the Rangers. And... Uh, that was I got the phone call when I was actually up in the Cape. Okay. So Travis, which team did you play for? The Orleans Firebirds. Okay. So a proud and storied tradition with Orleans too. Guys like I think uh, did Matt Weeders go through Orleans. There's been a ton of names that has gone through Orleans. Anyway. Yeah. So it was super cool to go up there and do that. You know, super thankful for Coach Stewart to kind of get me that opportunity because he was the one who reached out to them and got me that opportunity. So it was I flew up there and then. Uh, one of my dad's college buddies picked me up because he's from that area, from the Boston airport, drove me to the Cape, stopped somewhere to eat, and I get a phone call saying, hey, you got drafted. <laughs> and so I call my dad, and I go back in the restaurant, and I sit down with his buddy, and I said, hey, I just got drafted. He was like, are you serious? <laughs> and so, uh, you know, Coach Stewart reached out, and they said, congratulations. Obviously, we still want you. Like, we really want you to come here. And I was like, you know what? Like, that, this is the reason why... I went to the junior college level is to go back and assert myself at a great academic school and a great program where I could play right away where they want me. So it's been an awesome experience. You know, it's so funny. I hear the draft stories all of the time. And generally speaking, it's like, you know, we gathered with the family. Uh, we pulled up the draft tracker, this, that, and the other thing. But but I like yours. We were on the side of a on the side of the road getting a bite to eat and I got a phone call from someone. That's that's good, man. I like yeah, that one. That's a little super different. cool, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so through all of this, right, there's there's always key people that kind of helped you keep your head up. You could take anybody's story, right? Whoever it is. Um, who was yours? Who was the person that said, Donovan, believe in yourself? Uh, we know what you can do on the mounds. We know you can throw 94, 95, and you can be an effective pitcher. Uh, who was that Who was that anchor for you? Um, well, it was definitely my dad. Yeah. Um, I remember sitting at home one day uh, before, this was after my freshman year, before I went up to the NECBL to play, and I said, you know what? Like, I don't know if I want to go to Tennessee anymore. And... My mom was like, oh, are you sure? Like, we can go back for the fall, see how you like it, you know, see if anything's changed. And, like, I was like, no, that sounds terrible. And I was like, right there, it clicked. I was yeah. like, I don't want to go. My yeah. dad was super supportive. My mom was like, okay, well, this is really what he wants. And so, like, they were both super supportive. We went on a couple of visits to a couple of JUCOs. Then I flew up north to go play baseball, committed to Santa Fe. But, you know, through the entire process, it, like, it wasn't my dad saying, hey, keep your head up, like, you got this. It was also me saying, like, like I know I can do this. Yeah. And so it was just really, like, relaxing and awesome that I knew they were in my corner no matter what I chose. Uh, tell me about the first time you showed up on campus here at Tulane. Um, I, I always ask the question, too, of people, what did you know about Tulane before you showed up at Tulane? So what did you know about Tulane, and do you remember the first time you stepped foot on campus? Uh, the first time I stepped on campus, uh, we moved in here in the summer. It was me. So you committed before taking a visit. I, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, okay. So okay. I, I took my visit. Okay. I <laughs> uh, took my visit. <laughs> um, and 
because I used to live in Mississippi for two years. So my dad was stationed there for two okay. years in Gulfport. And so we would come to New Orleans all the time. And I actually had no idea that there was a school here in New Orleans. And so because we would always go visit downtown. But then Eddie Smith called me one night. This is Tulane. Long story short, I'm on, I'm on an official visit. And so I show up and I was like, this baseball field is beautiful. Like I know this is like a hidden gem. Like this is one of the best baseball fields I've ever seen. I've played at most of the SEC fields. Sure. Um, you know, walked around me like the locker room, the the campus is beautiful, and it's like it's in New Orleans. Like you can't beat it. So definitely blown away. Not what I was expecting, and it was such like an awesome like experience and seeing all the different places. I was like, okay, so this is this is Tulane. So it was super cool, and so. Uh, that brings me to the story I was at previously. Sure, yeah, go Where uh, I show up <laughs> with my dad. We move in to one of the dorms, and it was me. There was like 12 of us. It was like half Juco, half freshman, and we all stayed together. And it was the July heat in New Orleans, and this dorm didn't have an elevator. So we had to carry all of our stuff up, three flights of stairs, through doors that were like locked, the key, key card wasn't working half the time. And so like that's like a funny story my dad always talk about is like that first day of movement, it was like, this is crazy. Yeah, like, this is this is how it's going to be. <laughs> this is how it's going to be. I guess I should uh, I should have connected the dots uh, from Pensacola. So obviously there's uh, uh, plenty of stations there. You said you lived in Mississippi while he was stationed somewhere. What's your dad do? Uh, well, he retired from the Navy okay. uh, my senior year, senior year of high school or junior year it was like an in-between kind of one of those years so but yeah we've been all over the country all over the east side of the country okay so, so where else uh all right so i was i was born in key west okay then we moved to jacksonville north carolina sure moved to germantown tennessee mm-hmm. moved to connecticut uh whereabouts in connecticut could have been uh, on the coast obviously conquered Yep. So up there, or Groton, mm-hmm. that's the military base up there, Groton. Mm-hmm. And then moved down to Jacksonville, Florida, moved to Gulfport, Mississippi, wow. and now Pensacola. How does that impact your baseball career? You know, I didn't really start playing baseball until I was about like 10 years old. So all the years prior was soccer. Like my dad just said, go play some sports. And so like up north, it's a big soccer. So we played soccer up in Connecticut. Um, and then when I finally moved on to Jacksonville, that's when I was like, all right, like, let's start taking baseball a bit seriously. So, so yeah, that's kind of, but it didn't really impact me as much. Um, my dad knew that we were going to have to pick up, move all of our stuff again from Jacksonville to Mississippi. He actually signed me up with a travel ball team over here in Louisiana called the Louisiana Force. Okay. And then that turned into a couple years later, the Louisiana Tigers. So it's been a lot of mixed action, <laughs> but it, it just helps me like, like learn new kids and yeah. how to meet new people and stuff. So it's been an awesome experience. Uh, when did you realize that baseball might be something that you can pursue into the future? Um, Let's put it this way. When did you get yourself in front of a radar gun and realize that you can throw a fastball a lot faster than most people? So... My eighth grade year, my we were at a we were at a school where I used to get to play varsity as an eighth grader, and so I was like, okay, you know, I used to be pretty decent, but the high school team there wasn't anything special. Sure. I was just, you know, decent for my age. 
So my dad actually heard about Pensacola Catholic, who won back-to-back state championships, unanimous number one team in the country. And so he was like, you know, it's only three hours away, or it's actually only an hour and a half away. Let's go move over there. I can travel to work, and you can go play with that team. So we go play on that team. I'm on JV for the first half of the season. Somebody gets hurt on varsity, and I get an opportunity to start varsity as a freshman. And I was like, man, this is kind of cool. Like, I could do this. And I remember there was a game where we had two Duke commits on our varsity team, and I was pitching in the JV game. And the head coach came over to me after the game and said, yeah, the Duke guy had you at 85 as a freshman. And I was like, oh, that's super cool. Like, not really knowing, like, oh, it's Duke. Like, okay, it's a college. Like, didn't really know what any of that stuff meant as a freshman. But, like, looking back, I'm like, yeah, this is that's we could we can do something with this. So it was super cool. Is there a time that you fell in love with baseball? Because a lot of the guys out here, I'm sure, have been, you know, they grew up, whether it's in Florida and they've been, I don't know if you're a Rays fan for your entire life or if you're a Red Sox fan growing up in New England or whatever, but was that you always? I mean, you bounced around for forever. Did you have a fandom or is this a sport that you've kind of sounds like you've come to it a little bit late? Yeah. Well, my dad grew up as a huge Boston fan. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's from Boston. Um, so I grew up as a big Red Sox fan, and so my whole family is Red Sox fans. So that was – it was definitely pretty cool, like, kind of like learning about that. But it came about it kind of late. So it wasn't like, oh, man, baseball since I was, like, this tall, sure. like, three. But as I grew up, I was I still, like, fell in love with baseball around, like, nine, and that's what kind of made my dad switch, like, okay, like, let's start taking baseball seriously. Uh, give me um – I'm watching the clock here for you, Donovan. I want to make sure you get out of here. Give me your favorite. Again, you've bounced around, but is there a favorite high school moment, a favorite high school game, a travel ball team, whatever it happens to be that that really sticks in your memory? Uh, one of your favorite times on the field, if it's not Tulane. Um, I'll give you two. That's not Tulane. Sure. So, my entire senior year of high school, it was just such a great time. Um, we had like 13 seniors, I think, 12 seniors. And so like we were all just like really close with each other. We were all we were like we were really good. Um, we made it all the way to the state championship game. And unfortunately, we lost in the state championship game, which still stings today. <laughs> but but just like that was just so much fun that entire season. And then uh, this is probably the coolest baseball moment. And my dad would have to back me up with this is when I was in the Cape, uh, Orleans was the team that year who was hosting the all-star game. And so if you're the all-star, if you're the team that hosts the all-star team, the all-star game, then you get to play a game at Fenway park. Yes. So there's a day where every team in the Cape goes up to Boston and they do a showcase on the field. And so we were the lucky team who did the showcase and stayed after and played. I think it was like some sort of travel, like elite travel ball team or something like that. And I got to start. So I got to pitch two innings on Fenway, at Fenway Park. And my dad was in the stands with two of his buddies. And like that was the coolest experience I've ever had with playing baseball. So it was it was awesome. I can only assume it was six strikeouts on, let's see, 18 pitches. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was it was something close like that. I know. I don't think it hit couple of strikeouts but I mean I can't even I can't even remember like what I did that game because it was just like such an awesome experience walking out like I just like looked around the field and I was like I'm like really here like yeah. I watch guys play here yeah and like I get to pitch here it was All awesome right. I want you back there I'm gonna get you out of here on this one just give me what you believe the potential of this team can be two lane if you hit your stride down the stretch uh we'll be playing we'll be eating steaks in Omaha yeah so uh my dad's going to buy me a steak in Omaha um 
but I mean, yeah, there's there's <laughs> no there's no limit to what this team can do. I think you know we have such a great group of guys. Um, our pitching staff has been really great lately, especially with all of our hitters taking their strides at this yeah. point. I mean, it's it's a dangerous team. We've played a lot of close games, as Drew told us. Um, so like we're we're hearsed in that area. We're not scared of anybody. So it's it's going to be an exciting team to watch. Donovan, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Big thanks to Coach Jewett, as always. And this week, some stories from Donovan Benoit. Good to hear about his father growing up in the Navy, as well as his experience playing at Fenway Park during his one season in the Cape Cod Baseball League with the Orleans. They used to be Cardinals. Now they're the Firebirds. Well, you can check out Tulane versus Memphis this week. And, of course, on the Tulane Sports Network from Learfield IMG College. That means in the Crescent City on 88.3 WRBH Plus online through the TuneIn radio app and the Tulane Athletics game day app. Tulane versus Memphis, another big weekend for Tulane baseball to continue this stride toward the NCAA tournaments and, of course, a chase for the AAC championship. My name is Andrew Allegretta. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week on the Travis Jewett Show right here on The Current.